Well, good morning, everybody. It's wonderful to see you here. If you're a guest with us today, we're in this series called At the Movies, and we're taking various popular movies and using them as sort of as a springboard into some biblical truths and principles. And uh, if you don't know yet, our, our story today is Aladdin. And uh, this, this, this great movie that Disney has produced in several different fashions really grows out of an inspiration from a Middle Eastern book simply called 1001 Nights, a greatly beloved and often retold fairy tale called Aladdin and the Magic Lamp. Now, the story became the inspiration for the 1992 animated classic uh, Disney feature uh, and then two subsequent animated films that Disney produced after that. Then um, Disney did a musical, uh, Broadway musical based on the idea. And then last year, 2019, they produced a live action adaptation of the original. That's the clips that you've seen this morning is from last year's film. By the way, in the original animated classic, do you know who the inspiration was for the dashing young Aladdin? Anybody? Tom Cruise. So you go back and you look at the animated version, then you look at Tom Cruise, and you will see in his movements and in the way they fashioned the young Aladdin a great deal of similarity. And we still have a VHS of Aladdin that the girls had when they were little. And if you're young, find an old person and ask what a VHS is, and they will help you understand that. Well, if you don't know the movie, if you don't know the story, it goes something like this. There's a handsome young man named Aladdin. Both of his parents have died, and he has survived as a street thief, aided by his cute kleptomaniac monkey, Abu. Good heart, Aladdin has a good heart, but lousy direction in life. There is the beautiful but overlooked and dismissed Princess Jasmine, who's trying to find her voice and trying to find her role in life. There is her widowed father, the sultan, who has unsuspectingly succumbed to the influence of the wicked Jafar and his cheeky parrot. And of course, who could forget the lovable blue genie who lives in a cramped condominium inside a gold lamp? Now, I've been asked several times this week, am I going to preach in costume like Sean did last week in the cardigan sweater worn by Mr. Rogers? No, I don't look good in billowy pants and pointed shoes. But I did bring a lamp. All right? And of course, the lamp is central to the story. It's where we get the genie. And as is true with most Disney stories, good and evil face off in a battle of wits in hopes that good and love will triumph in the end. Now, biblical truths abound in films like this, but in the Aladdin story, there are some unique truths that I think are worth remembering. Here, here's the first one. I want you to take these home with you today. Be careful where you turn for wisdom. Be careful where you turn for wisdom. The orphaned Aladdin, as likable as he was, folks, became streetwise. He was a thief. Surviving on the streets was the only life he knew. And when we meet him and are, and are introduced to him in the movie, he has had no other access to wisdom than what he can discover on the street. You ever feel sometimes that you've been left a little bit short on, on the area of wisdom, that you're living with street smarts and nothing else? I mean, life at best is difficult. It's filled with the unexpected, the unanticipated, and the disappointing. Not a week goes by, but what I 
learn of unimaginable troubles, challenges faced by the people in this congregation. Cancer, divisiveness in the family, dementia, the unexpected loss of a job, health concerns that baffle the medical community and leave physicians scratching their heads, an addiction to opioids, the sudden death of a loved one. All of that just this past week. That's just this past week. And who knows what next week will bring. When we're young, we tend to ignore the aging process. Trust me, folks, you'll get there sooner than you think. And I've watched some of our seniors here in this congregation deal with issues that would defeat the most vibrant among us, and they just keep on going. My admiration grows for them as I watch them deal with more and more struggles in life and challenges in life without giving up or throwing in the towel. You want to gain some wisdom about life? You talk to some of the seniors in this congregation who've had some tough times, who've been knocked around a bit, who have been beaten up a bit, and they will give you some advice that will help you through life. Because you see, seldom does life unfold like we planned or hoped. And too many, when that happens, too many choose to blame God when things don't go well. So maybe you're angry because God answered your prayers with a no instead of a yes. Or maybe you're confused because he's silent. He allows us the opportunity to mature as we walk through the valleys of life. Whatever your disappointments, we may be feeling that if God is going to treat us this way after all that we've done for God, well, I'm just not going to believe in God anymore. Don't go there. Don't give up on God. We live in a broken world, but not, not one that was broken by the hand of God. It was broken by a human hand reaching out for a forbidden fruit that cost us paradise. And in a broken world, in a broken world, it will take more than being savvy and street smart to survive. You need true wisdom. So where do we turn for true wisdom? Because uh, uh, I'm, I'm astounded, folks, at what seems to be a dearth of wisdom in our com culture and community, communities around the globe. I see far too many foolish choices and far too few wise ones being made. Now, I know in the movie, <laughs> Aladdin and Jasmine are supposed to be the heroes, but really, when it comes to the words of wisdom, my favorite quotes come from the genie. Let me, let me give you a couple of my favorite quotes. Here's the one thing about wishes. The more you have, the more you want. Hey, that is a great statement on contentment. But what you need to know is that long before Disney put that into the film and into the script, Jesus was telling us the same thing and much more about contentment. Do you remember the parable they told about the farmer who was wealthy? He had barns that were full of produce and he had a bumper crop and he decided to tear down the old barns, build bigger barns so he would look awesome and feel awesome. And he filled those barns with grain that he would never use in a lifetime. And he said, now I can take it easy and enjoy life. And God says, uh, not so fast. Today, tonight, your soul will be required of you. And then who will get all these things? And in the parable, Jesus said that guy was foolish. He was not wise in the least. 
Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4, he said, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of content, being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in poverty or want. He says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Now, that's wisdom. That, that's, that's truth. When you trust Jesus, when you know that he'll take care of you, then it doesn't matter what's going on in your life. You've, he's got your back. Here's another quote. This is after Aladdin finds the, the lamp, rubs the lamp, the genie pops out, and the genie's waiting for, his, for, for Aladdin to make his first wish. And, and the genie says something like this. He said, I usually don't have to go through all of this because by the time the guy gets to me, he pretty much knows what he wants. And it generally has to do with tons of money and power. Do me a favor. Do not drink from that cup. I promise you there is not enough money and power on earth for you to be satisfied. Boy, that's good. But again, long before it hit the silver screen, God was communicating that truth to us. In Ecclesiastes chapter 510, the Bible says, whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. It's empty. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? You get in the picture here? That all the good stuff that comes out of this movie was God's wisdom spoken years ago and adapted today. Aladdin relied on his street smarts to get him through life, but that only got him into trouble. Remember? He was always in trouble on the streets. Proverbs 17, 16 says, Of what use is money in the hand of a fool? Since he has no desire to get wisdom. God wants us to be wise. God has even promised to give us wisdom if we'll but sincerely ask him for his wisdom. So if tomorrow you get an unexpected notice of bad news, how will you handle it? Will you turn to the streets for doubtful answers or will you turn to the Savior for divine wisdom? James writes this in chapter 3, but the wisdom that comes from heaven, God's wisdom, is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial and sincere. That's the kind of people we want to be. That's what genuine true wisdom is. That's not street smarts. That's God smarts. Be careful where you turn for wisdom. You won't find it in a lamp unless it is the lamp of God's word. Here's the second thing. You have a voice, use it. In the film, Jasmine sings a song that she will not be silent. She won't remain speechless. And all through the movie, her voice is dismissed as being insignificant or unimportant. In many cultures today, that kind of thing still happens. It was a beautiful song she sang, right? You know, as we used as a bumper into the sermon. I will not be speechless. They will not keep me silent. But that happens a lot. There's a lot of unique things happening around the world that we hardly ever consider. I read this week of a wedding in India. Both families were excitedly gathered for the event. Now, it was a traditional Indian wedding in the sense that it was an arranged marriage. The bride had never, ever seen the groom, let alone know him. 
And in this traditional wedding, as I understand it, there is a point in the ceremony where both the groom and the bride are veiled. And they lift their veils for the first time in the ceremony. And when they did that in this ceremony, the bride took one look at the groom and said, I'm not marrying him. And she refused to go through with the wedding. There were heated words that led to heated actions, uh, which meant they called the local police. The police came out. Uh, the wedding was called off. The families bickered and finally decided to split the expenses 50-50, which in my mind is the way it should always be. It shouldn't just be the father of the bride who has to pay for the whole thing. But I digress. You know, folks, I cannot, I cannot imagine not seeing the person I'm about to marry and spend the rest of my life with. I just, I, I can't imagine that. And I'm not saying that our American courtship process is better. Our American courtship process has a lot of flaws too. But one needs to have a voice in a marriage. 2,000 years ago, when Christianity was born and began to spread... It was unique among religions, still is unique among religions of the world. It is unique because it is a relationship with God based on grace, not on merit and works. It is, a un it is unique because it celebrates and worships a risen Lord who died in our place that we might have life everlasting. And it is unique because it leveled humanity's playing field and broke down the barriers like no other group, government, or religion has ever done. Listen to these passages, Galatians chapter 3. For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on the character of Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3 says much of the same thing but in slightly different words. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. I'm telling you, bias and prejudice still creep into the minds and the hearts of people in every culture, even our own culture, unfortunately. But it, should have, it shouldn't be that way. And it should never be that way in the church. Because that's not the way the family of God is supposed to work. That's not the way it is in scripture. And that's certainly not the way it is in heaven. Some things I find very hard to comprehend today. I know they're true. It's just hard to comprehend today in our culture. For instance, August of this year will mark the centennial anniversary of the 19th Amendment. Giving women the right to vote. Doesn't it seem astounding that women have only been able to vote for the last 100 years, oh, that, that just, that's hard to grasp today. I was on the student council in high school when it was decided that girls could wear pantsuits in addition to dresses. Really? I mean, that just sounds really bizarre. That's in my lifetime. I lived through that. A lot of things have changed through the years, but there have been a lot of things that probably weren't as good as they should be. Have you ever noticed in Scripture how the Lord treated women. Mary, young Mary was the first to receive the news of the long-awaited Messiah's arrival. 
And unlike the culture of her day, the angel did not approach Mary's father and ask permission about this. And the angel didn't go to Joseph first, her fiance, who, who was also called her husband, and ask permission for this. The angel came to Mary with the news. And more than that, more than that, Mary was the first to carry the gospel, the good news, literally inside her womb. I've thought of the many ways that the Lord could have come. He could have just arrived as an adult and simply shown up on the scene in Judea. Or he could have been uh, an infant left at a doorstep where maybe it was on the royal doorstep and he would have been adopted by the royal family and grown up in a palace like Moses in the Old Testament. But no, the God of the universe, the creator God would submit to becoming a human embryo. That the Lord would trust a teenage girl with the most important role ever in all of history points to his unfailing grace and his matchless love. She found her voice, by the way, and sang his praises. And when you go home, go to Luke chapter 1 and read Mary's song. It's a beautiful one. Oh, but that's not all. From all appearances, Jesus treated the sisters Mary and Martha with the same in love and respect as he treated their brother Lazarus. They are known as three of his best friends in this world. But it was to Martha. It was to Martha that Jesus gave those immortal words that we treasure so much today. In John chapter 11, Jesus greets her out on the road. They're on their way up to the tomb. He's going to raise Lazarus in just a few moments. And Jesus said to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And Martha found her voice. And she said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is to come into this world. She knew exactly who he was. She was trusted with that beautiful truth. But that's not all. As Jesus entered Samaria, he timed his visit to coincide with a woman who came to the well to draw water at the wrong time of the day. You came when it was cool in the morning, but she came at high noon because she was, well, of sordid character. She was considered a, a pariah in her own community. And so the woman came at noon when nobody else would be there. But Jesus was there. Jesus offered to give her living water, gave her all the information she needed. And Jesus trusted this woman with a, with a less than desirable reputation with the good news to go back into her village and say, I have found the Messiah. Come and meet him. She found her voice. And she went back and told her village. But that's not all. On one glorious Sunday morning at a garden tomb, the risen Lord greeted another Mary, this time Mary Magdalene. She was the first to understand the life-changing news that Jesus wasn't in the tomb any longer, that he had risen and was alive. And Jesus trusted her with the message to give to his own disciples. Go get my disciples and tell them I'm no, no longer here. I have risen she was the first to carry the gospel, the good news of the resurrection to her world. The two Marys are like bookends on the life of Christ. Last year, Elsie and I and the group from church here had the privilege of standing in the ruins of the ancient city of Magdala, Mary Magdalene's hometown. And I closed my eyes and I visualized her running from the tomb, shouting, He's alive! He's alive! Mary found her voice, I'll tell you, 
and shouted the best news ever. Only Jesus can do something so incredible. Recognizing our equality in Christ does not mean we surrender our uniqueness. For instance, God's plan for the family is so incredible. You take a husband and you take a wife that are equal in the eyes of God, but they bring different and needed emotional, mental, and spiritual gifts to the family. I would be so inadequate as a father without Elsie being a mother to our daughters. And while we celebrate our equality in Christ, we also celebrate our individual uniqueness in Christ and in him. He takes us and uses us with a voice to praise him and to speak for him. By the way, others have lacked voices too. I love the fact that people from every race, tribe, and nation can find common ground here at Sherwood Oaks. What a blessing the various races are in this family. And I wish there were more from around the globe, and I hope in coming years there will be more. But I'll tell you, I am a better person. I am a better Christian because this family looks more global than it used to. Because this family looks more like heaven will look when we get home. I shudder, I shudder to think that at one point in our history, one man could own another. Slavery was so unspeakably terrible and wrong. You may not recognize the name Marian Anderson, but she was one of the greatest American voices of the last century. She sang around the world to global acclaim to, from all who heard her. As a matter of fact, upon hearing her in person, the famous conductor Arturo Toscanini said that she had a voice heard but once in a century. But when it came to singing in our, her own national capital, our own nation's capital, Washington, D.C., the DAR, the Daughters of the American Revolution, who owned Constitution Hall, the largest venue in the city, turned down the opportunity to host Marian Anderson in concert because of her race. She was African-American. It's hard to imagine such prejudice. But Miss Anderson was a gracious lady. Often asked about that moment in her life, she would simply respond, you lose a lot of time hating people. Isn't that a gracious response? I'm not sure I'd have been that gracious. But with the support of Eleanor Roosevelt, Marian Anderson then sang on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. She sang on an Easter Sunday, 80 years ago in 1939, to a crowd of some 75,000 people that stretched from the steps of the Lincoln Memorial all the way to the Washington Monument. And when Secretary of the Interior, Harold Ickes, introduced Marian Anderson, he told the crowd, in, the great auditor in this great auditorium under the sky, all of us are free. Genius, like justice, is blind. Genius draws no color lines. That's the way the church is supposed to operate. In that audience was a 10-year-old boy who 24 years later would also stand on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in Anderson's very spot and preach, I have a dream. In a speaking contest, five years after that concert, a young Martin Luther King Jr. recalled Anderson's performance. He said, she sang as never before with tears in her eyes. When the words of America and nobody knows the trouble I'd, I seen rang out over that great gathering, there was a hush on the sea of uplifted faces, black and white, and a new baptism of liberty, equality, and fraternity. May that ever be true in the church. That as we gather in this place, black or white, brown or yellow, red, whatever color God brings, may we all be of one family and one voice to give glory to God our Father and the Savior.
There are other voiceless ones out there as well. Those who have not spoken yet. Today is Sanctity of Life Sunday. Marks the 47th anniversary that abortion on demand has been legal in our country. And since that decision in 1973, over 60 million lives have been lost. Last year, 887 abortions took place right here in Monroe County. 887 who will never see the light of day. Now, I don't share this to make anybody feel guilty. If you've been down this road, if you've made that choice at some time in your life, I, I, I don't want to make you feel guilty at this point. That's not my intention. And I will, I will agree that there may be rare and extenuating circumstances where an abortion may save a mother's life. And a decision has to be made that's terribly tough. But I share it with you. Because the unborn have no voice to speak for themselves, to be heard outside of their mother's womb. I share it because abortion on the demand for any little whim just has to break the heart of God. I have often wondered if Mary had lived now and had had the choice, would she have given birth to Jesus or would she have quietly disposed of the Savior? We serve the creator and the sustainer of all life and we must find our voice to speak on behalf of the voiceless. God calls us to be a people who have a voice to honor God and to speak out for our Christ. You have a voice. Use it. Last thing. If the sun sets you free, ah, you're free indeed. Priscilla Shire, Shire wrote this. On the other side of obedience, there is freedom and victory. In other words, once you obey, that's when we experience the freedom and the victory. When Aladdin first rubs the lamp and the genie appears, it's a fun conversation between the two of them. And finally, Aladdin just asks why the genie doesn't just set himself free. I mean, after all, you got all this power, just set yourself free. And then the genie says this. If you've watched the movie, did, did you catch it? The genie says, only the master of the lamp can set me free. For all of his power, the genie is powerless to free himself. What a conundrum. And I remember thinking, that's us. The quest for freedom from tyranny sparked a revolution here nearly 250 years ago. The quest for freedom from slavery sparked a civil war here nearly or over 150 years ago. You see, we all want to be free, and the greatest need for freedom is spiritual. We need to be free from the bondage of the slavery of sin that keeps us out of a relationship with God. You know, we, we, what we need is a, a magic lamp and, and a genie to set us free. I mean, wouldn't that be great if, if you could rub a lamp like this and poof, the genie would be out. And, well, make-believe lamps and mythical genies are just that. Make-believe and mythical. There is only one who can set you free. In John chapter 8, Jesus said this to the crowd. I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family. Ah, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The end of the movie is great. I love the end of the movie. Aladdin uses his third wish. He saved his third wish, his third choice, and he sets the genie free. And in the movie, the chains, there, there's, there's chains around his neck that look like 
ornaments and there's bracelets around his arm that sort of look ornamental, but they begin to fall. They are really the chains that bind him to this role as a genie and they fall to the ground and the genie is transformed. He became human. He becomes free to choose, to love, to live. It's a great moment. What God created as perfect, we ruined with our sin. And the chains of death and spiritual oppression bind us to a hopeless outcome. But when we obediently come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the chains and the shackles and the burden of guilt and sin is removed. And we are all free in Christ to choose, to love, and to live. You see, on the other side of obedience, there is freedom and victory. Wow. Late yesterday, <clears throat> late yesterday afternoon, my 92-year-old father went home to be with the Lord. Dad served for years as an elder in my home congregation and was a great example to me and to my family. Now, people have been gracious. Several on the staff and the elders said, listen, let, we'll, we'll figure out a way to preach. You, you know, you don't need to do that. But standing there around dad's bed in the hospital yesterday my mom and my sister and I all agreed dad would want me to preach this morning and so I'm here to do that uh, my, my folks have a stack of sermon CDs over the years imagine that they would have sermon CDs but maybe just maybe this morning dad heard me live I don't know who knows what heaven is like but this I do know and this I believe with all my heart that his worship this experience this morning is beyond anything that you and I can imagine because the master, the master of the universe set my dad free. I know where he is and I know who he's with. And more than anything else this morning, I believe what I have been preaching for these four decades, that only in Jesus Christ is there victory and freedom. And so this morning I preach for my heavenly father, but I'm preaching in honor of my earthly father who showed me the way to Jesus Christ. My dad is free and at home. Will you be? Do you know him who can set you free and give you the victory? Let me pray with you. Father God in heaven, we are grateful for the promise and the assurance that life everlasting is available to us, not because we're good enough, but because Jesus Christ is. And that because of the price that he paid, if we obediently come to him as Lord and Master, the chains will fall and we'll be free and victorious again. Father, I thank you for this congregation and I ask your blessing upon us as we serve you. May your will be done in us and through us. Thank you for our great hope of eternity. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.